Hey now, this is Jason Acorn with The Boneyard, and you are listening to Jason on the Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Welcome to Outdoor Adventures with Jason. Each week, I bring the world of hunting, fishing, and conservation to you. From the great hunting and fishing opportunities found in the Americas, to the dream safaris located on the dark continent beyond. I'll introduce you to those who are already out in the field living every outdoor enthusiast's dream, as well as outfitters and gear manufacturers that can make those dreams your reality. Welcome to a special episode of Outdoor Adventures with Jason. I've got Chris Gaikima on the line again, and Chris is the outfitter that we spoke with before at Compass West Outfitters out of New Mexico. Had a lot of great feedback, and his episode was very well received. So I've got Chris on the line again to really talk to everybody about the New Mexico draw system and the fully guided hunts and how those two tie in together. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, Jason. Good morning. Thank you. Oh, man, my pleasure. We had a great talk about just hunting in general and what New Mexico has to offer. But there's so much complexity to the draw as far as where do I put in? Why do I put in? What is a guided hunt going to do for me? How can I be helped with this draw process when I really don't know where to put in because I'm coming in from out of state? That I thought it's really beneficial to get you on again and let you kind of tell what your expertise is and what you can help folks out when they're booking a fully guided hunt with you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's 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 a lot to the process in New Mexico as far as how the tags are distributed. So if I'm just starting this whole process out, which but I decide I want to come to New Mexico and hunt uh, an elk, what's my first steps? I mean, I don't know where to put in. I don't know what to do. So I guess, tell me what happens. Somebody, I'm going to call you on the phone and how's that work? Well, I mean, calling me on the phone is going to lead me to believe right off that you're probably looking at a fully guided hunt. You know, New Mexico has two options in the draw for non-resident hunters. There's 6% of the total tags for any given hunt go to non-guided non-resident hunters. So if you're living in Texas and you want to come up and hunt New Mexico for mule deer and you have a particular area, let's just say Cloudcroft, New Mexico, you want to put in for those tags, you can put in for those tags as a non-guided non-resident, and you'll be in a pool for 6% of the total licenses for that hunt. So you don't have very good And Well, I mean, it depends on the area. You know, I mean, correct. I mean, non-residents on the guided and the non-guided pool both have pretty rough draws. But, I mean, that's true for almost every single western state. There's not a western state that I know of that I can just walk into as a non-resident and expect to have the same kind of odds as a resident. Right. And certainly you know, from the, my standpoint, say being in Texas or I'm calling you from Utah or I'm calling you from California or Michigan or wherever, I don't have the weeks and months and years to study every area in New Mexico and know where the elk are, where the mule deer are, what's the best time of year, what's, I need to hire a guide. And so I'm looking at somebody like you to help me through that process because I just don't, I'm coming out there maybe a week's vacation that I can get away. You know, I want to make that the most advantageous that I can. Right. You know, I mean, so, you know, you call into the office and, and we decide that you're going to apply for the guided pool. So you're automatically going to be in the running for 10% of the total tags for any given hunt. 
as an elk hunter, I would work through with you on your weapons of choice, archery, muzzleloader, and rifle. Now, what really surprises a lot of people about New Mexico when they start to look at the statistics for draw is a lot of guys are like, well, maybe I'll put an archery hunt as a third choice because it's probably a little easier to draw. And for the most part in New Mexico, that's the opposite. Most of the hunts in New Mexico, the archery and the rifle are the two hardest hunts to draw, and then the muzzleloader is usually the easier of the three. So I would work with you on desire. I mean, are you looking to just hunt in a unit where there's good opportunity at, at giant trophy bulls, or are you looking for an opportunity to hunt? You know, New Mexico has a lot of areas, particularly in the northern part of the state, you know, the, the 50s and some of the stuff around the Pecos Wilderness. You know, there's a lot of tags and fairly easy and tons of public ground and great access for a guy that wants to do something on their own and doesn't want an outfitter. It's a large elk population with a smaller, younger age class, in my opinion. If you told me you were specifically just looking for trophy bulls, I would probably steer you into the southern half of the state and get you into the guided pool. Okay, so not only can we choose based upon, hey, I just want an elk versus I want a trophy elk, but we've also got different styles. And nowadays, I don't own a muzzle loader, but do I not understand a lot of these modern-day muzzle loaders are very, very good. Oh, yeah. I mean, essentially, muzzleloaders are just single-shot rifles anymore. I mean, they've gotten so good at them in the inlines and everything else. And New Mexico doesn't have a lot of the restrictions that other states do. You know, so you can use pelletized powder. You can use sableded slugs. You can use inline scopes, you know, whatever you want. Essentially, you just got to kind of jam it down the barrel. When you call in, you know, the, the first step is to figure out your goals. You know, are you looking for just trophy or are you looking for opportunity to hunt? Because we can set your application up to reflect that. You know, we can swing for the fences. Let's just say swing, go for a hunt in the Gila and a hunt in the Sacramento Mountains. And then on your third choice, maybe put an area that you have a higher statistical odds of drawing, maybe not as big a bulls, but it's got a better odds of drawing. So you've at least got a good opportunity to go hunting that year but you're swinging for the fences because New Mexico is a pure lottery. So when you turn in your application, all three hunt choices are equally important because before the state moves to the next hunter, they're going to check out all three of your choices. Really? So it's not just, okay, here's all the rifles for this area. Here's all the muzzle loaders for this area. They're going to look, if they draw your name, they're going to look and see what you're doing. Right. When your name gets pulled out of the hat, like let's say we talked the other day about the mobility impaired certificate. So we have a contract law in New Mexico, and what that requires is that the outfitter and the client be in a contract to legally be in the outfitter pool for 10% of the tags. So it's kind of just a disclosure contract. It's going to tell you, hey, you know, I'm providing you one-on-one -on -one guide service out of a tent camp, with all your meals provided, and as a mobility-impaired hunter, you can bring a single guest to help you along the way, and then you can also have, you can also see exactly what is or is not included 
for the set price. So just as an example, you know, for $5,200, essentially it's a one-on-one guided hunt with a guest, all meals and lodging provided. The only exclusions are tax and, and license. Once we agree to that, then we would set up the three units that you wanted to apply for. Okay, so then I put in for the draw. At that point, let's say we're doing an elk. The state takes my elk license fee like we talked about, and it takes uh, the $13 processing fee, and I'm drawn. Bingo. You get no- I get notification, and do you get notification as well that I was lucky enough to be drawn? No, not necessarily. I mean, I get... Uh, outfitters get what's called a lucky list that shows us everyone that applied through our license for a given year, and that's just to protect, you know, because sometimes occasionally there's fraudulent use of outfitters numbers to get into the draw. So in order to protect us from that, I get a lucky list. So most of the time guys are going to call me the second you get the email from the state. So <laughs> I call you up at that point. I give you a deposit on the hunt, correct? Correct. And that's going to be what? 50% of the hunt price. Yeah, roughly. I mean, the reality with New Mexico hunts is everyone wants to go, but nobody's really necessarily planning on going. You know, when you do draw, we work with guys on budgets, you know, I mean, it's not a cheap hobby hunting anymore. And, you know, we got guys that are swinging for the fences on these great hunts and we want it to be an affordable, you know, good experience. We don't want someone to feel strapped. So, you know, we'll usually, we usually like to start out with somewhere between like, 1500 and 2500 okay. for a deposit. So somewhere between a third and 50%. That's Correct. That's doable. I, I put that out to you. And then my drawing, let's say this is April. I don't even, when do they do the drawing? Is it April? Yeah, the, the deadline for applications in New Mexico is March 22nd. And then on April 26th, the results will post. I know if I, you, I get my deposit in and we know that, man, I've got this date. And so I'm coming to New Mexico and then when do you want final payment for the hunt? A week before, when I get in camp? How do you do that, Chris? Most of the stuff that we do is going to be 60 days okay. in front of the hunt. So that way you know the hunter's committed, they're paid. Now it's just a point. If they choose not to show up, they've still paid. You're not out anything. Correct. In the guided pool, is it theoretically possible that you could strike out and have nobody picked in any given year? Or do they try to spread it around among all the guides? No, I mean, there's no controlling that. It's a random lottery, so there's no guide or outfitter preference in there. It's just pure luck. I mean, yeah, it's a dangerous game for us, you know, where we're getting guys, to as many guys as we can to apply for these tags that are hard to draw with the hopes that we draw enough guys to make it worth all the effort to get through the hunting season, you know. We've got guys in the field from early August all the way through the end of January. Theoretically, since it's just a pure draw, not that you want this to happen, but your outfit could get zero chosen anywhere, and some other outfit could get everybody chosen. That's a unique system. It is scary. Yeah, I mean, it kind of has its own built-in checks and balances just by statistical odds. But, you know, I mean, there are occasions where, you know, and people ask me a lot of times, you know, like, hey, how many guys are going to be in camp? And and that seems to be a re recurring question from new hunters and i think it goes back to at some point they've probably been somewhere where they were in a camp that i mean i was talking to a guy the other day that said he was in a camp that had 25 guys in it i can't imagine having a camp with 25 guys in it but i can see where they'd be nervous about coming back and having something like that again but you know with such low draws you know most of my hunts in new mexico you're talking two to four guys on a if i'm really lucky six 
So your camps are set up with what, maybe three, four tents max to house food and everything, and then a couple for sleeping, and then one for your guide and, and anybody else helping in the area? Yeah, I mean, the tents are pretty much, we've got two big 16 by 20 tents that we set up. That's like the cooking and kind of a, a recreational area. And then the client tents are set up, I'll have anywhere from three to six set up. I like to, you know, if a guy comes in by himself, I like to keep him as a solo hunter in his own tent, you know, whereas if I came with you and you and I were buddies that drew a hunt together, you know, it'd probably be fun to be bunking together and, and have that, the whole experience, have that time together. Yeah. Now, when you said you have guys that head out in the field in August, well, what we've got, August is really trail camera season. So, you know, pretty much what happens is is in late July, early August, the, the bulls start to shed velvet. You know, the, the elk will move a great deal in the period of time between when they shed velvet and when they start to rut. So it's in that window in early August that we start setting trail cameras and trying to pattern out and see where some of the big bulls are and, and everything else. You know, we start our homework in June and July with just kind of glassing and checking some, a few cameras here and there. But then in by August, we've got all our cameras out. Oh, okay. And as a company, Compass West Outfitters, generally, how many cameras do you guys run? I mean, it depends on a given year. You know, each of the guides runs quite a few cameras i'd say probably all between all of us you know we're probably running somewhere between 60 and 90 cameras wow that's amazing that's covering a lot of ground well the, the some of the cameras will stay up till the end of january other ones you know i'll put up some cameras in real remote areas in late late july early august you know we'll go back and and pull those cameras typically sometime around the end of archery. By the end of archery, we're pretty well dialed in as to exactly where the bulls are that we're after and, and everything else. But, you know, there there's times where we go to pull cameras and we find bulls on there and are like, holy cow, you know, I mean, that happened to us last year. We went to pull a camera off a wallow that we hadn't checked because we'd been just so busy in other areas. You know, we hadn't checked that camera in, a, in like a week, and we went back in there on the day after the archery season ended to pull the camera and found a giant bull on there and ended up sitting on that bull until the, the first day of the rifle hunt. Makes it for a very nice way when you can start patterning and getting an idea what's out there. Oh, it's tons of fun that way. Not only are you doing the mule deer and the elk, but whitetail are also a draw in New Mexico, are they not? Yeah, you know, New Mexico has has a drawn elk. And you can put in for, you know, obviously any of the weapons. And then it has a draw for mule deer, antelope, and bighorn sheep. And then we have the ibex and the audad. The antelope draw is probably the most unique as far as how it works. In New Mexico, when you apply for antelope tags, if you apply for firearm hunt, the way it works in New Mexico is you apply for a region. So let's just say you apply for the northeast area hunt as an as a regular hunter in the state of new mexico you're you might draw the northeast area and then you're assigned a ranch within that area and you have no control over that so there's good and bad in that in new mexico where unlike states where you're hunting gobs of public land most of the antelope country is fairly private or checkerboarded with private and public land so the state sets it up where you get assigned to a specific ranch where you can hunt public and private lands Oh, okay. But it's not something that you can change. So it's, I guess the best way to, to put a, a different light on that is like yourself as a mobility impaired hunter, 
if you apply for an antelope hunt in the northeast area of New Mexico, you might draw the mobility impaired hunt for the northwest area. Now you have the opportunity to hunt anywhere you want on public or on you know BLM state national forest lands that you want or on private with permission, but you're not assigned to a specific ranch. So if you and I are hunting by Clayton one day and don't see what we want, we could go all the way over by let's say Raton or Springerville or Wagon Hound, you know, or Wagon Mound and hunt wherever we want. Whereas if you draw like a rifle hunt through the regular draw, you're assigned to a specific area. Oh, okay. Now I know when I was uh, driving through New Mexico, I had, I left Ruidoso and was headed west. And you come down out of the mountains. I can't think of what the name of the little town was, uh, but as you come down out of there. There was antelope everywhere, literally like on the side of the road. It would have been more yeah. like a hunt versus a hunt. <laughs> well, an- most antelope hunts in New Mexico are just three days. I mean, you know, there you it's you don't get a ton of time. The archery and the and the muzzleloader hunts are a little bit longer, but your rifle hunts for antelope are just three days over there a saturday sunday and a monday well i can see why oh no i mean new mexico's got unbelievable antelope it's just navigating the the draw is tough you know i mean that's where we try to help clients understand on an individual basis how it all works and and you know what you're better off doing for for your desires again antelope you know you can apply for areas in the southern half of the state where you have probably some of your biggest potential for you know book goat and you can also apply for an opportunity hunt which would be the northeast area of the state where you're less likely to kill a boone and crockett goat but you know your odds of drawing are probably five times higher oh okay now so i'm coming in from out of state i i've put in for the draw i'm from michigan i got there's no way i got time to scout all those areas so chris i've got you hired you're going to tell me i mean a lot of guys i know try to overgun. you as a guide must see that i'm thinking with antelope even mule deer anything from a 270 to a 30 odd six is probably fine is it not i mean it's whatever you shoot the best that's what i tell guys to bring it's I don't care, particularly if you bring a 300 Ultramag to an antelope hunt, provided it's the gun that, you know, when you pick it up and point it at something and pull the trigger, it shoots perfectly for you. You know, a lot of guys get into shooting animals with bigger guns than they necessarily should be shooting, and then they get recoil shy, you know, and and that affects their the shootability of that weapon. You really have guys come out with all sorts of stuff. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've got, especially with all the long-range stuff that's so popular now, you know, I've got guys, I mean, really 7 millimeters and 300s is the most common. You know, for antelope, mule deer, yeah. I mean, anything from a 270 to a 300 is perfect. You don't need a whole lot bigger for them. You know, elk, I like stuff in the 300 realm a lot more than I do a 270, but, you know, if I've got a guy that shoots a 270, you know, and it's touching bullets at 300 yards every time, and he's got a 300, and he's all over the place because he's scared of it. I'd rather you bring the 270. When I went to Africa, I took my 30-odd six because I was comfortable with it, and I got a good 180-grain round, and I was I could put the bullet on target. So he said, just bring that, and I took everything from a giraffe to a clip springer with that 30-odd six. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, modern weapons are all so, you know, it's, it's a matter of time at the range. Being familiar with your weapon, knowing how it shoots, and that's how you kill stuff effectively. So now if somebody wants to get in touch with you, Chris, we'll have your phone number listed, but what is the best number for them to call you at? 
I mean, the easiest way to get a hold of me if you don't go through compasswestoutfitters.com is just call the main office number at 505-801-7500. How are you looking for this season? It's still not too late. You could still help people easily get in for the draw, correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, you have a contract requirement. So I like to tell people that if you're considering doing a guided application in New Mexico, you want to have your ducks in a row with me or whoever your outfitter is by about the 15th. You know, one of the things that we'll do for clients if they want us to is, you know, we'll go ahead and do everything for you right out of our office. You know, it's, it's quick, it's easy, it's efficient. We just jump in, build you a customer account, and go ahead and put you in for the actual hunts that you're looking to do with us by contract. And then we just, you know, handle managing that for you. If I've been doing my research on New Mexico and I know there's a certain unit, you can help me say, yeah, Jason, you can put in for that unit. Just realize it's a very low draw odds. We'll put you in there. But this unit and this unit are going to better give you a representation. You're able to better tell me and provide all that guidance, correct? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's specific areas, obviously, that I'm going to steer guys towards because they're more comfortable in my wheelhouse. But I, I, have, I have a lot of clients that will come to me with specific questions like, you know, you might come to me and be like, hey, you know, I want to apply for 16C. I've, I've hunted over in 16C and 16E a ton, and I really like it over there, and I want to put that as my third choice after what you recommend. And I'll tell clients that flat out, you know, just like any hunt in the state of New Mexico, there are hunts where, you know, maybe we're not the best guy for it. You know, I know that there's other outfitters that are in 16C and 16E full-time that are going to be able to offer better service. So I'll usually tell clients if you come to me with, you know, an interest in a particular area, if it's not an area that we're feeling that we can give you the best possible hunt, I'll tell guys that I can do what's called a contract reassignment. So if they draw their third-choice hunt, they can go ahead and choose the outfitter of their choice for that hunt, and I can reassign the contract. Oh, fantastic. That's that's nice that when they deal with you, they're getting somebody that's honest enough to tell them, I'm not here just to take your money. I'm not the best guy yeah, in that area. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of special hunts in New Mexico, and there's a lot of hunts that guys want to apply for that just aren't areas that I necessarily got. The best probably example for me is Unit 13 and 17. They're just not units that, that we hunt very often we get in there a touch now and then with very specific clients but you know i've got buddies that guide in in 15 and 7 or i'm, I'm sorry in 13 and 17 that that's their home turf that's their wheelhouse hunt you're going to get a way better hunt hunting with one of those guys than you're going to get with me over there trying to figure it all out that makes it better because you're going to have certain sub areas that are that are your specialty that you guys can just flip clients back and forth. That's that's a good working relationship with these other guides. Oh, yeah, for sure, you know. And, I mean, sometimes I'll tell guys I don't know, you know. I mean, I don't know who I would recommend in that area. From the, from now until April 26, you've got a little time to daydream and think and look on the Internet and figure out what you think you want to do as far as who you'd want to hunt with. And, you know, we'll sure help you along the way. I mean, obviously we would prefer that people apply for the – specific areas that we like to hunt but you know like i said before i i do get guys that want to put in for an opportunity unit like let's say unit 52 up north you know 52 is not a unit we guide at all so a guy comes to me and is like hey i want to hunt with you but i really want high odds to draw on a tag can i put in for 52 
I'll tell them they can, but, you know, we got to make sure that we know who they're going to be hunting with if they draw that tag. Fantastic. Also, you'll do some of the special, you, do you do some of the specialty hunts there in New Mexico, like the, the Oryx and the Ibex and the Outed? Yeah, we've, we've done the Oryx hunts for years on base and done exceptionally well. We love that hunt. It's a fun change of pace for us, and it's, it's such a neat hunt. And then, you know, we'll do any of the sheep stuff that we can draw and the Ibex. You know, the the, the Adder Barbary sheep, we used to do a lot of that hunt within New Mexico. I really don't do very much of the Barbary sheep or Audad anymore. I had a couple ranches that we were working with for private access, but it's not a hunt that we're really offering a whole lot anymore. I've got private land in Texas that we can go hunt. And I just tell guys, it's a lot more money to go to Texas, but, you know, you can go to Texas and one and done. You know, you go to Texas and shoot a 30-plus-inch ram, whereas a hunt like that in New Mexico, it might take you two or three tries to kill a 30-incher if you ever do. Okay, so it's it's just a different setup. Yeah, we're living over here, and honestly, out at are everywhere here in Texas where I'm at. So it's just a matter of how you want to hunt them. Right, for sure. I mean, there's some exceptional guides and outfitters in Texas down in the Glass Mountains and the Davis and, you know, all through that country down there that kill humongous Audad. You know, we've killed some 30-inch-plus sheep here in New Mexico, but, you know, it's it's more on the uncommon than the common. Now, you also do some limited guiding in Colorado. Whole different draw system in Colorado versus New Mexico. How much are you able to help people with on that? You know, we can steer guys here and there in Colorado. The, the, the hard thing with the way Colorado is set up is it's a true preference point system. So you kind of can look at the required number of points and know exactly when you're going to draw. The problem that I see with Colorado right now is there's so many people in the middle of the road. There's so many people that have, let's just say, 10 to 15 or even 17 points. And, you know, if you fall in that 10 to 17 category, it's hard to find a hunt that justifies 10 years or 15 years of your time and money applying for these hunts to draw, you know, because the Northwest corner, you know, in 2 and 201 and 851 and some of the other giant bull units, you know, those units are just getting further and further out of reach of everyone unless you've got 23, 24, 25 points. You need to be putting in to Colorado when you're 18, 19 years old. I mean, for those units. But, you know, the thing about Colorado that's started to fall under the wire is, you know, like there's the area that we guide in Colorado. The muzzleloader elk hunt takes two points to draw. The muzzleloader deer takes one. The, the archery deer in my area takes two points to draw. And the elk archery is over the counter. So wow. the thing about... Colorado is if guys what you need to do is just put in you know every year or at least every other year because if you don't apply every two years you lose your points but you know you want to at least every other year apply in Colorado and build up two three points and you can pretty much bank on going hunting you know I mean if you built up enough preference points in Colorado you could every two years you could come and hunt you know an archery mule deer elk combo in the early season when the mule deer are still in the velvet in the high country and then once you got your deer you could go down into the timber and hunt the elk 
And that's the benefit of talking with you versus trying to just figure it out and bouncing around until you get an idea. I mean, it's not impossible to learn. It's just going to take some time and there's going to be some hit and mitts where by hiring you, you're going to be able to help me navigate those roadblocks. Right. It's deciphering the different states. You know, it's for the Eastern hunter or for guys that aren't used to the applications, you know, that's the hard thing to understand is that if you want to hunt out west and you're not collecting points right now, you're doing yourself a disservice. Even if you, like, don't think you're going to hunt for five years. You know, I hear it all the time from guys when I go to, like, the Harrisburg Sports Show, you know. I'm there and I'm talking to guys and they're like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm a working guy. I'm, you know, down the road I might go. Well, down the road you're not going to go if you're not building preference points. You're only going to be able to hunt states like Colorado that have over-the-counter tags. You know, like Arizona is a great example. I know from a personal standpoint, right now I have enough points to draw a hunt in Arizona. Do I want to draw a hunt in Arizona where I'm going to kill a 320 bull? Or do I want to wait a few more years and gamble that I could draw a unit where I could kill a 340, 350 bull? but maybe never draw it and then end up getting mad and applying for the 320 hunt and drawing it with too many points. That's exactly what you said. It's, it's a risk you take. It's a gamble you're taking on the unit. Correct. You know, I mean, I've been collecting points all over. I mean, a great example, I had a client yesterday that's working with us now on those applications and, you know, he sent me the spreadsheets for points in all the states. And I mean, you know, this guy's got 22 points for elk in Colorado He's got 23 points for sheep in Arizona, 17 points for elk, 18 points for mule deer. I mean, this guy's got, you know, 23 years invested into applying for points. And now he's at a critical point where now he's starting to freak out because he's got the points to draw these unbelievable tags, and he just wants some help and kind of guidance through the whole system on where to start applying for. He better get a big home equity loan is what he better get. It's going to cost him a fortune <laughs> if he gets drawn for all that stuff at the same year. Well, I think that's where you're careful. You know, I mean, that's where states like Colorado are sort of nice, where he knows he doesn't have enough points for the hunts he wants in Colorado. A couple years from now, he probably will once he gets some more people out of his way in front of him. Whereas, like mule deer, he wants to hunt mule deer with us in Colorado, but he's got so many points it's a disservice to use those points to come and hunt with me. You know, he really needs to wait until he can draw a really good mule deer hunt and burn all those points, and then every other year go back to hunting with us. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all a strategy. I mean, it's amazing how much there is to it once you – and, you know, I guarantee, like, even now I'm sure that, you know, you're probably a little confused over all of it because it's relatively new to you, and I definitely confuse guys sometimes when I talk to them on the phone. I've got a few preference points built up in Wyoming and Texas and Michigan. Uh, I've been buying preference points in Michigan for a bear hunt. I've got enough points built up. I think I got six or seven points there now. I've got enough to pretty much be drawn in just about any unit that I want, I believe, but I just haven't pulled the trigger on it yet. Uh, just a quick question, because you're up in northern New Mexico. Are you able to hunt on any of the Navajo or uh, Apache lands? No, no. The the reservations all have their own drawing systems and everything else. Now, 
I can put in, I, and I do occasionally put in for the archery hunts on the Navajo reservation. You know, up by me, I've got the Hickoria and I've got the Navajo. Those are the two biggest ones up here by me. The Hickoria is all guided, put into a very special lottery. There's very few tags, and they arguably probably have the best mule deer hunting in the world. The Navajos... They have good hunting as well in some of the areas, and you just have to apply to draw the tag. I, I just wondered. I didn't know because I know you're sandwiched in by the two reservations, and I wasn't sure if you would be completely, you can hunt there, you just can't guide there. In some, yeah. No, no, I can't guide on any of that stuff. You know, I mean, the Indians all have their own guides and their own game and fish commissions and, and everything else. So, yeah, I don't, the Hickory, you cannot hunt on at all unless you're guided. And then the, the Navajo, there are some hunts you can do on your own. I get guys that occasionally ask, you know, about drop camps and stuff like that, you know, and I mean, that brings up another, I get a lot of guys in New Mexico that are looking to see if I do drop camps. My thing about drop camps is always this, if I'm an outfitter in a particular area, and my Colorado is a great example of this, my Colorado permits, if I'm guiding clients in a particular area, and I'm offering drop camps, I mean, no offense to the drop camp hunters, but where is the drop camp hunter most likely going to end up? Not in a good spot. Some, well, not necessarily not in a good not where I want to be. You know, and that's what I tell guys all the time when they ask me about drop camps. I'm like, guys, the first question you need to ask the outfitter is, do you do guided hunts? Yes. Do you do guided hunts in the same area as drop camps? Yes. Right there should send up a red flag, in my opinion. Am I in the camp that didn't do good last week? Am I in the camp that he doesn't want to be in because he knows that there's not as many elk there? Or how's that system work? You know, I have some people I know with the, in Colorado that offer only got, only drop camps. You know, and I think as a non-resident hunter coming in and looking at a drop camp with an outfitter that only offers drop camps, I'm going to be a little bit more comfortable because... He wants me to come in, enjoy the service, kill bulls, and come back next year so he doesn't have to keep marketing. Yeah, you want, I mean, the, the lifeblood of your business is repeat customers. Correct. You want those guys, those the men and women coming back, so it, it just makes it easier for you. It makes it easier for you to plan what you need. I, I can certainly understand that. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's I mean, re repeats and referrals are the lifeblood. It keeps me from having to do as many sports shows as, <laughs> you know, maybe way back in the day that we used to do. And, you know, the Internet's the other marketing tool. But I think at a certain point, too, from a sportsman's point, you know, the Internet's almost saturated. You almost can't make heads or tails of what's good and what's bad on the Internet anymore, period. All you need is somebody that can build a slick website. Right, exactly. And, yeah, knows how to do some website optimization, and all of a sudden they're in business. You know, Colorado requires a, a lot more permitting issues than New Mexico, but most Colorado outfitters have, like what I have, is particular drainages or areas where I'm the only outfitter. You know, I have public cars in there, but I'm the only commercial operating outfitter within those areas to reduce the potential for conflict with other outfitters or with just the general public. Because eventually the public kind of gets used to where you are. Everybody can coexist in an area. Right, exactly. Chris, in theory. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Again, this is awesome. I love having you on and talking to you because it is for half of the country, you know, from the Mississippi East, uh, it is a very confusing item when they're looking at the draw odds. I, you know, I would encourage people that are listening, if you have any questions, contact Chris at compasswestoutfitters.com. I'll have a link in the show notes. 
you can call him directly and you'll get him or uh, call in his office at 505-801-7500. And again, go to his website. He's got everything from the draw hunts to, you know, if you don't have time and you don't want to spend time figuring out all the different odds, you can do a guaranteed hunt. It's going to cost you more, but you offer those as well. Correct, Chris? Right. We've got a lot of options for guys. You know, if you're, if you're unsuccessful in the draw, you can do landowner tag hunts or you can do stuff in Colorado even. If you've never put in for the draw, but you want to come to New Mexico and hunt elk, you know, there are some guaranteed landowner tags that Chris has access to. The other thing is we didn't even touch upon was the youth hunts. So if you've got a young child that wants to get into hunting, there's some great options. And I can't say it enough. Contact Chris. He can walk you through all of it. He's got access to both the public and the private land hunts. And if you're not convinced, go to the tab on his website called Trophy Room 2015, and you will see some amazing animals listed across there that he's him and his guides have helped uh, help take across New Mexico. And, and I think there was even some in Colorado listed on there. And it, it's just amazing. And we haven't even touched on your fly fishing guiding. So there's still a lot more to talk about. Oh, for sure, Jason. It's always nice. And anytime you need anything, just give me a shout. Well, we'll be looking for that mobility impaired certificate to put in. If I can't get it soon enough for this year, it'll be next year. But I'm going to start putting in for the draw, I think, minimum. So we'll work on that. I encourage any listeners to contact Chris. And, again, I appreciate your time, Chris. Uh, I know this takes away from uh, your business and your family. So anytime you provide is great. Uh, you're a good guy for that and, and speaks volumes of you and the business that you and your wife are running. So thank you again for your time. No problem, Jason. You have a good day. You too. Thanks, buddy. Come early spring, it's getting green. Fisher on the bed. And hear those turkeys gobble. It's ringing in my head. The winter rise bass boat, here comes another year. Yeah, we command the outdoors round here. Oh, we command the outdoors. Yeah, we command the outdoors. Come summertime, we're feeling fine, fishing on the lake, flipping jigs in Carolina rigs, from early morning till real late. Bonfires on Creek Bank, kick back a couple beers. Yeah, we command the outdoors around here. Yeah, we command the outdoors. Yeah, we command the outdoors. Next year's does until you know winter's on the way. Brushing blinds and deer stands. The fever starts to creep. Fill our freezers full of ducks, lots of tender deer. 
Yeah, we command the outdoors around here. Yeah, we command the outdoors. Yeah, we command the outdoors. So grab your guns, shells, boys. Put on your camouflage. Cause we command the outdoors around here We command the outdoors